0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Faith and Fable, a
1: pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller.
0: And I'm Matt Henry. You ready? Well, after fumbling around, yes, I am. (laughs) Um, What are we talking about?
1: All right, so last time we started this whole topic of the nature of revival, and we spent most of the time basically trying to discuss what revival is not.
0: Um, That tends to be our way well, you gotta We're deconstruct before Nancy's. you can construct yeah right Ooh.
1: Uh, okay um so <laughs> so so just just by way of just quick review here remember um revival is not a series of meetings that is prayer meetings temp meetings evangelistic crusades conferences so on and so forth uh also revival is not a transient moment that is to say it is not here today and then just gone tomorrow there's a lot of emotional hype around revival uh, or even desiring for a revival, but much of that is fleeting. Um, and historically speaking, revival always had serious but long-lasting effects that I would even argue some of which is still felt today. Sure. Um, True revival. Correct, yeah. Third, uh, revival's not the presence of miracles. Many so-called revivals are associated with charismatic theology and revival. We talked about how this had much to do with the fact that North American Christians in the 20th century have put an unusual and tremendous emphasis upon special phenomena, something, uh, ironically, which has not characterized much of church history.
0: If I remember correctly, um, Armstrong, who's one of the key authors that we're, we've been reading, he calls that revivalism right. versus re- biblical revival. Correct, yeah. Um,
1: fourth, uh, revival's not a local or national um or moral recovery, nor is it a community being unified in terms of an optimistic spirit, which is a lot of what we saw happening mm-hmm. here in Kenosha. Uh, that is to say, it's not a political movement seeking a unified front for political or moral change, regardless if it's agendas of right or left-leaning politics. So, so it is not about revival not about regaining freedom of speech, having those Second Amendment rights, religious freedom or the recovery of a Judeo-Christian ethic, but nor is it what's being called today, racial reconciliation and pushes for equality in the name of what we have just argued for as culturally derived definitions of justice. so we, we said there, just be wary of any movement or season of the nation's life in which love for God is somehow equated with love for country, but equally so, be wary of any movement in which the church can walk in lockstep with the agenda of an overtly God-hating culture. Um, neither of those are evidence of a true revival.
0: Yeah, yeah. So when you see a current event happen, and then all of a sudden churches are calling for everyone to get together for a revival— you already have suspicions this is not right. Yeah. I mean, it it might have a neat motive, but. Yeah. Or
1: the whole, you know, social justice woke movement right now, many are regarding as a form of revival. Yeah. um, And I would argue vehemently against that. That's a a really good point. Uh, Finally, fifth, revival is not evangelism. Again, we argue that evangelism is simply to be that ongoing work of the church, regardless of the time. So when, people come to Christ as a result of evangelism, that is not revival. That's just evangelism. <laughs> um, and, and the key here is to understand that true revival is not the bringing about of new life, uh, but rather it is the reviving of old life. And that is such a key distinction because it's, it is going to control how you understand true revival. The question that you have to ask is, is revival something which happens outside of the church? Again, bringing new life. Or is the church itself the primary object of revival uh, that is reviving that which was already made alive? Uh, And so, depending on your answer, that's going to control much of your understanding of this. And we're going to argue for the latter. Um, It is our position that these things just mentioned here are what should be regarded, as you brought up, revivalism. Um, These are external markers that many have determined to be the evidence of revival. But aren't actually found in the scripture at all and so as a result we want to talk today about true revival what it is and how does it come about
0: all right so let's begin with a definition um First of all, before we actually do that, know that there is no word for revival in the Bible. However, uh, you do have some verbs that are used to speak of the idea of reviving, which we already covered last time. Um, When you examine the terms, you see that they're used to speak of restoring life or restoring declining life. And so since that's the case, this is why we speak of revival in the terms of restoring that which was already given life. In other words, the object of revival is always the church. It's never the world. That's huge. Or that system which is dead, alienated, and hostile toward God. So, part of uh, understanding this requires you to begin with a sound homardiology, which is the doctrine of sin. Uh, In fact, this is why we are spending so much time recording episodes on systematic theology. You can't talk about biblical topics in isolation. Rather, so much of the Bible is interwoven, and here is one of those examples. Uh, If you have a wrong or weak understanding of sin, then you will have a wrong understanding of revival. That can't be overemphasized. Um, The scriptures declare that all people are dead in their sin. They're not merely sick or broken. Rather, they are dead in their sin. So, since revival is the restoring of that which is already alive, revival always has in mind the church or that which God has already made alive in Christ Jesus. So, when talking about revival, understand that the object of revival is always the people of God. So, whenever you start hearing about revival in the city or revival in the nation, it's important to figure out what a person means by that. Do they mean the churches within the city or nation, or do they mean the culture as a whole? If they, if they mean the latter, then we should argue it is incorrect. It's a nice sentiment. We, we, we don't dispute that, but it's simply not a biblical idea. So um, Armstrong argues this. He says dictionaries offer a number of definitions for the now revival or for the verb revive when used in a strictly religious context. Revival is said to be the return of life or the act of restoring life to the church after decline. One entry states that the revival is recovery from apparent death. This last statement may well be the best since true Christians never decline into a state of complete spiritual death. Uh, The church may languish and even appear to be completely lifeless, but she will never die. Uh, God has a people who belong to him and they have his life, even when that life is in a weakened or exhausted state. That's a really good quote.
1: Yeah. Uh, So let's, uh, in light of that give a definition. So what is a good definition? And we're essentially just gonna spend the rest of the time talking about this definition, breaking it apart. So here's a key definition that comes from Armstrong again. He says that true revival is a sovereign intervention of the Holy Spirit of God, that is the spirit of Pentecost, powerfully sweeping across the visible church in blessing the normal ministry of the word of God in prayer, in the lives of both believers and new converts. It is best understood as an extraordinary, intense season of blessing upon that, which is normal New Testament Christianity." It's, just, it's a phenomenal definition, I think. Um, now notice a few things about this definition. First, it is a sovereign work of God. So this gets into what we talked about last time, um, but the idea then is, you know, nothing can be done to sort of coerce revival. It is something determined from the sovereign will of God alone. Uh, remember, sovereign means that God is unmoved by anything outside of him, which means that he He does not, and I would say cannot, react to anything outside of him. Um, so as a result, if revival is a sovereign work of God, then it means that there's nothing that man can do to create it or even cause God to decide to bring it about. Again, very key. Now, that does not mean that certain conditions are not usually prerequisites to true revival, but it does not mean that simply because the typical preconditions are present that God will therefore necessarily
0: bring revival about. That's really good because we, we, we do those things and then we start to become frustrated because God doesn't act. And we think maybe we need to try harder, but the reality is the preconditions that as, when we get into them, they're just go back to what you know is true and be faithful in them. And at the same time, like my prayer is Lord, we would appreciate a revival. (laughs) (laughs) We'd love to see these churches that are so messed up come back and be revived again, but it doesn't matter. If not, we're going to always keep seeking to be faithful in our task. Well, anyhow, you got anything else you'd say on that before I go on?
1: No, I I think you hit it.
0: All right. So, second, this definition then is very careful to state that revival sweeps across the visible church. That is to say, once again, that Bible a uh, Bible revival is something that happens within the church. The church is the object of revival, the object for which the Holy Spirit brings His restorative work. Do you think we made that clear? I hope so. Uh, I hope.
1: But you, you're still going to hear you're still going to hear a lot of effort to do prayer meetings for yep. the city.
0: Yep. Uh, The idea, then, is that revival usually takes place when the church is in a state of very great decline and may even appear dead. Historically, this is certainly proven to be the case.
1: Yeah. Then third, uh, on this definition, uh, notice what the Spirit is blessing and therefore the means through which the Spirit brings about revival. He he says very carefully, it is through the normal means of the Word of God and prayer. Uh, that is to say, historically speaking, revival always ca- came about when the church was in decline, and yet in certain ways, it was still faithful to those important tasks.
0: Yeah, God God would raise up men who would begin to bring the word. Jonathan Edwards. Yep. Yeah. George Whitfield. a lot of people like that, yeah. Exactly. So,
1: so those are the prerequisites, therefore, that we would argue uh, must be in place. If you study the history of true revival, the one thing you'll notice is that it always— began in a place in which there was a faithful man or a faithful church going about the business of faithful, regular, biblical ministry. And specifically, it was the ministry of soundly teaching the word of God and being devoted to prayer. Now, key, though, is the word being taught in these cases was not the topic of revival. So Jonathan Edwards isn't preaching on revival and revival comes about. Um you know, he's preaching on sinners in the hands of an right. angry God. I mean, it,
0: what's interesting, though, is that a lot of people take that sermon, turn it into a track because they're like, revival came about because he was preaching on, on that, that sermon. And yeah. it's like somehow there's power in this sermon. What they don't know historically is that this sermon was something he preached many, many, many times. And he also preached somewhat monotone and boring, yeah. and it never affected people. Yeah. Uh, it was... And then there's that moment in the church again that all of a sudden the spirit wonderfully moved.
1: Yeah. And, and he's faithfully just preaching on sin in the gospel and repentance.
0: And and leave it to us. We immediately shift the focus from the sovereign work of God to, oh, it's matt this there's some magic in yeah. this sermon.
1: What's the technique? Right. Um so 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 the word, when we say that men preaching the word of God faithfully, again, it's not preaching on the topic of revival, nor were the prayers necessarily prayers for revival. So again, this cuts against the idea of revival prayer meetings. When you're praying for the city, praying for restorative work or something like that. Rather, it was, again, simply faithful week in and week out exposition of the word of God and faithful praying of biblical prayers. And when those elements were present, if the sovereign God decided to move in a revivalistic way, then he would. Um, In other words, in order for revival to happen, there at least has to be someone Just one, someone faithfully proclaiming the word of God and being devoted to faithful prayer. Um, and God has always used this when he chose to bring revival. And again, I'll just reiterate just because those elements may be present, that is not a promise God will bring about revival. But
0: if they're present, then the prerequisite is present if God chooses to move. Right. So I'm, I was, as you're saying, I was thinking even the Old Testament you know, Josiah, the child king, but they, they find the word. It's so bad. They find the word of God. It's like, Oh, Hey, what's this? (laughs) I mean, it tells you how bad things were. They're like, Hey, has anyone ever looked at this? No, let's see. And they start to read it and it's the the Torah. And, and then it's being read to the people and revival even comes to that nation for a period of time. That's kind of cool and sad. Um, Now, think about then the many churches in our day. Now, really, honestly, ask yourself, how many are faithfully expositing the Word of God and have a church defined by biblical praying, where the people are truly praying the priorities of God? I like the way you wrote that. Where the people are truly praying the priorities of God as they have been shaped from the Scripture. So a four-part sermon series on four steps to a successful marriage or eight ways to reduce anxiety or five ways to stop being a helicopter parent and on and on. These are kinds of pulpit ministries that God will not use because they are not explicitly scripture-bound. Right. Um, ironically, now they'll fill up churches. Absolutely. Uh, But it doesn't convert souls, and it certainly doesn't bring revival to dying churches. So ironically, we've seen that many of these churches are also the same churches putting together revival-type gatherings, praying for revival in the city. So the important point to understand is that revival— has always been a sovereign move of God. And yet the prerequisite for him to bring about revival is the faithful, normal means of faithfully proclaiming the word of God in prayer. I think we're beating that. Yeah. Point. But I-, I, it's, I the, think, the point of this is singular. Yeah, right? I, but but I don't think we can beat it enough.
1: Because if, if you can get this part, then the rest of what we talk about going forward it will make a mo- lot more sense.
0: In fact, before I go on, I'm, I'm thinking about how now- Due to Barna and a few other polls, it was found that many in the church desired expositional teaching. And so now magically all these non-expositional preachers start doing expositional preaching, but it's not really expositional preaching. And it's also not because they're convinced that they need to be bringing carefully put together messages that faithfully draw out what's in the text it's rather another means for church growth if that's what the people want and that's what's going to bring them in I'm going to call my sermons now expositional but they never almost ever drill down deeply into the text so you're so you're still in consumerism yep yep and and it also goes to the the popular condition today in the seminars where they're Diminishing things like learning Greek and Hebrew and learning um, sound theology and Bible uh, exposition. And they're doing more on cultural hermeneutics. Oh, golly, that one kills me. Or or uh, also, this affects, like, biblical counseling or counseling. You know, you go and you find out that the entire thing that you're being taught in the counseling section of the seminary denies <laughs> the very things they claim to believe about the Word of God, that it is what the Spirit uses to change a person's situation specifically their soul and then what follows. Instead, they go back into a a fallen, corrupt system of psychology of one type or another and say, well, here it is. And then they scratch their heads and wonder why, okay, we have an expositional pulpit, but the rest of our church literally practices something contrary to what that is. Mm -hmm. We could go on, but anyhow, Armstrong says this. He says, in revival, therefore... We do not enter into a new kind of Christianity. We experience a divine empowering that makes it appear we have entered into something quite new. In reality, what was there all along is still there in both the word and the sacraments. What is new is the fresh empowering of God's sovereign presence, which makes it seem as if previously used means of grace are now new. Yeah. I like that. So again, here we just
1: see the great differences between true revival and what's called revivalism. Uh, As we said, very simple episode, but we just wanna leave this here with you because it's a very critical distinction. Um, And if it's not clear, then stuff will be mushy as we go forward. So true revival comes as a result of normal ministry as God is pleased to work through that normal ministry. But furthermore, the object of revival is always the church, not the rest of the world outside of their church. Uh revivalism is just that, that man-induced effort, emotion, hype, conferences, passionate praying, worship meetings, prayer meetings, strong internal desire or sense of feeling that God wants to do something in the city, uh, a renewed sense of unity in the church, uh, so on and so forth. Um, the desire to see revival, that's not an evil thing, but it's important to understand what it is and how it comes about or else we're not going to be doing anything very biblical at all all the great revivals of church history were never the result of mass effort to pray for revival or to preach on revival. Rather, it was a sovereign move of God as the full counsel of God was faithfully being proclaimed and biblical prayers being prayed. So uh, next time, what we're going to do is talk about the various views of revival uh, in specific terms. These are views which come from people who take the Bible seriously uh, we're not going to deal with unbiblical views of revival. Again, that's stuff called revivalism, except maybe just in passing remarks. But do understand that good, faithful people disagree on what true revival is in terms of its specifics. Um, so that's what we're going to do. And then from there, uh, we want to develop some of the marks of true revival. Um, and so we plan to talk about what actually happens when true revival comes about and how, therefore, to rightly identify it. So uh, that's what's to come. But until then, make sure to tune in, join this conversation. Uh, We would love to hear your thoughts on revival. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell a friend.